Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with poet and journalist Chris Vendracek about his new book, Rattlesnake Summer. Chris, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Well, we uh, have a lot to, that we want to talk to you about, um, but first, just to get to know you a little bit, um, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in, uh, I guess, Keister and Wells, Minnesota. There are two towns uh, there just about 20 miles north of the Iowa-Minnesota border in Faribault County, which is kind of two hours or so east from Sioux Falls. And so I... Um, some of my earliest memories actually are that my, my my father and mother actually were teachers and they met in Hurley, South Dakota. Um, but they headed east uh, for higher teacher pay. <laughs> we, we won't get too political on that. But uh, but then, yeah, so I was actually born and raised there in southern Minnesota. And um, but some of my earliest memories, though, like I said, are, are, are kind of uh, – uh, sort of coming west for holidays, like particularly for Christmas, you know, or in the summer as we come west to South Dakota um, to visit my grandmother who grew up in or who lived in Beersford, South Dakota, there in Union County. And then I had, um, and that's where my mom's family resides, has resided for years, that kind of generations. Um, in fact, I was just reading about my great great grandfather, who came from Ireland and uh, ended up living for a long time in Union County, and he was, he died. Uh, he was trampled on by his mules <laughs> during a during a hay run. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but I mean, it was like you know, it's kind of. I think when I was a kid, I was embarrassed about that. I was like, oh my gosh, my my sort of ancestors died in, a, in an ignoble way, but now I'm kind of proud of it. You know, <laughs> in a strange way. But, well, well, how would you make your way to South Dakota? Then you would earn a bachelor's degree in journalism from USD. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So how I got to USD was when I was heading into my senior year at United South Central High School in Wells, Minnesota, I, uh, my parents said, why don't we check out the, you know, looking at colleges, and they said, why don't we check out the schools in South Dakota? Mom had graduated from state, uh, had gone for a year to USD, and I, of course, knew about USD, um, and so I, I had a bunch of cousins who went there. Um, and so we went over, and I actually sat in Ray Chavez's office at the content was then like the contemporary media and journalism major. I don't know if it's still called that or not. He was the department chair of media and, and, and so journalism. And he uh, told me about the scholarship, the Al Newhart scholarship, which I think they still have um, like the Al Newhart sort of excellence in journalism scholarship, which would be like a full ride to, uh, to, to USD and you be a print major. And I, of course, love journalism and I wanted to be a newspaper reporter and so I kind of thought, well, that'll be an interesting thing. I can put my name in the hat for that. I've never won anything, but I'll put my name in the hat for that. And then it was a series of like tests and you had to do a send in writing samples and that kind of thing. And to do an interview, a really nerve wracking interview in March, I remember of that year of 20, 2003. Uh, and I was, yeah, fortunate enough to get um, offered that scholarship. And so I came to USD and um, uh, then stayed for six years and did two degrees, did an undergraduate and bachelor or yeah, bachelor's of arts in contemporary media and journalism with an English minor. And then I ended up staying around, got hooked on the literature and stayed for another two years doing my master's of arts in uh, English literature um, in the English department. You know, do you have any um, you know, favorite memories from that time at USD? Yes, I, I have... Um, 
I, I've been thinking about this lately just because I've been back in South Dakota and it is kind of like getting close to 15, 20 years or so. But um, I vividly remember uh, my favorite my favorite class uh, was my senior year. I took a Robert Frost seminar from Ed Allen, who I, I think he still has a house in Vermilion. <laughs> He used to bring like hot dogs. I don't know if you ever knew Ed or not, but he would bring like hot. Like he was an English professor and a, and a and a novelist and a poet and all kinds of things. And he'd bring like uncooked hot dogs, I think, down to the bar in his pocket, and then he'd give them to the dogs. Because uh, what's uh, his face at at the pub? Um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name. Who owns the pub? Uh, you know this, Michael probably. Tom, I think Todd. <laughs> Todd, yes, Todd Radigan. I yep. follow on Twitter now. Uh, good Twitter I, again, follow. Good Twitter follow. Yeah, he he. <laughs> so Todd, uh, who really supported local music, which was a big other thing I was into in college. Uh, yeah, I think Todd had his dog, like just like hang out in the bar, if I recall. Maybe that's still the deal. Um, so Ed would like feed him hot dogs. But yeah, so I had this Robert Frost seminar with Ed, and um, it was really important. And one thing I always remember about that class was how when you're reading Robert Frost from the flatlands of South Dakota, you know, like in Eastern South Dakota, like it was kind of difficult. And we talk a lot about how snow, how the snow in South Dakota was similar or dissimilar to snow in New England. And it wasn't until a couple of summers ago that I, for the very first time, ended my, or sort of found my way up into sort of Northern New Hampshire where Frost like lived when he was writing his first poetry books, like Mountain Interval. And I found out how rugged and like alpine that terrain is. And I was moved to like, I wanted to like send Ed a long letter about how in some respects reading Frost in Eastern South Dakota was more of an uphill (laughs) climb than I realized. Because when you see the environment from which his poetry came, you really get a sense for the isolation that was present there, which in some respects is actually very familiar to the Dakotas. So maybe actually reading Frost was, wonderful in Vermilion, you know? Um, but so that's a course. So that course, though, again, has like resurfaced, you know, like, like, um, over the years in my life, definitely. Um, well, you know, what got you interested, I guess, in writing? Man, that's, so I think when I was like a second grader, I wanted to be, uh, like a baseball player because the Minnesota twins had won the world series like in 91 when I was in first grade, which is pretty cool. You know, and you think that's going to happen a bunch when you're a kid. And then you realize it's just cool. Cause they had won twice. They'd won in 87, right. When I was like a three or four year old and then they won again. And so I thought this was going to be a regular thing. And I thought I was going to play second base for the twins or outfield. And then I realized that my friend Ben was actually like better at baseball than me. And you know how you start to like rationalize things as a kid? I started to realize, okay, well, maybe I won't be a professional baseball or like maybe I'll be a pro baseball player, but Ben will be also a pro baseball player. And then I thought, actually, it's probably unlikely that two kids from the same town are going to be on the same professional baseball team. And so as the dream slowly died, I thought, well, the next best thing to being a baseball player would be what? You could be a reporter and you could hang out and like watch baseball every single day. And so you could be a sports reporter. And so it just so also happened that I enjoyed writing. Uh, my mother was an English teacher and uh, I would come home and I, and I remember reading some kind of funny pieces to my classmates, like in, like in first and second grade. And my teacher would like give me time during show and tell to like read, read little funny stories that I wrote or I thought they were funny. 
um, which is probably just a way to indulge me, you know, and get me to like shut up. <laughs> like let him read stuff. So from an early age, I I really enjoyed writing, and so um, I think it was. I slowly, you know, left the dream of sports reporting behind. Although I do think that anyone who knows, like. I mean, that's how I think there's some wonderful storytelling techniques you can learn from reading good sports writing uh, that has that has certainly stayed with me. So then after USD, where would your kind of career in journalism start? Yeah. So when we um, when I got to USD, you know, one of the stipulations of the, of the scholarship that I got was that I ended up having to be working for the Volant, the student newspaper. And I had never worked for a student newspaper. My, my uh, school didn't have one. And I kind of came into school thinking they're in Vermillion, staying in BD Hall, third floor, uh, 309, I can remember it. And I remember thinking, well, I'll probably be a columnist. Because at the time, there was this really funny columnist named Nick Katsaya. I don't know if you remember Nick or I, not. I, I, don't, we, I, don't, I don't know if I do. He maybe was gone along. Okay, okay. So Nick was like this, like, you know, kind of Dave Barry or whatever his name is, like funny, you know, kind of like Esquire, Rolling Stone style columnist, kind of like a Chuck Klosterman style columnist, right? And he's, I think Nick's actually now works for USD alumni or something. I have no idea what he does. Um, but I see him, his name around like every once in a while. And he's a really funny writer. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll be like that, right? I'll just write my thoughts, kind of like I did in second grade. I, I'll just write my thoughts down on page. And people will read them and think they're funny. Well, two things happened. One, somebody immediately told me, perhaps it was Jack Marsh, my advisor, or someone in news, you know, someone in the uh, in the Vallant said, like, no, you're a Newhart scholar. You have to like pay your dues. You have to work for the news page. Like you have to write news stories. No one cares about your opinion on the latest like movie or whatever, you know? Um, or like some some like kind of witty take you have about campus life. And so I was like consigned to the news department first off and then, you know, doing stories about like a new business, like the new McDonald's opening up because McDonald's had just opened up when I moved to Vermillion, which is like a decade, you know, now so long ago. But the other thing I found out was I'm not that funny, <laughs> like as a writer. <laughs> I mean, I like, I don't think I'm like adult, but I, but I found that like some of my columns and you're in that kind of young and like new, you're like new to writing. You, you're sort of still trying to find yourself as a writer. And like, I was also a little bit, um, I guess, what's the phrase? I was a little innocent. So I didn't make jokes about like beer or something, or I didn't make jokes about going to the bars and that sort of thing. And so I felt like that was, you know, college humor. Like that was what college humor like trafficked in. And so the stuff that I would write about was like how I felt awkward being tall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, you know, or like I once my like most embarrassing column I wrote was, or one of my most embarrassing columns was like I went to New York City on a journalism trip, and like I made some joke about like the pigeons in New York, and then like <laughs> somebody it was like my it was kind of like my early encounter with like um like reader feedback right and it was actually really important because a writer or like a grad student was from New York, and she was like you know I get she wrote to me and was like, I get like basically criticized all the time for how I like being a New Yorker and all these stereotypes about New Yorkers and I'm stuck here in Vermillion. And I was just like heartbroken that I had hurt her feelings. You know what I mean? And I think you have to develop thick skin to some extent as a writer, but I think you also have to develop empathy for your readers. 
And so I just kind of put down the humor stuff and I was like, this ain't for me, you know? <laughs> this is really a thing. So I kind of drifted actually when I worked with a lot more into like, like entertainment writing, like music writing. I wrote some pieces about like my favorite piece I wrote was about uh, the music museum and like the serpents. And I kind of felt like that was a little bit more of a territory where I could be quirky. You know, I could have fun. I could maybe employ what limited humor I had, but I also wouldn't be, um, yeah, like hurting, hurting feelings per se, <laughs> which I didn't want. And, and this was like really before Twitter and social media took off. So, this was, so if like a reader found you, you knew it was a bad deal. <laughs> no, I, I think we all, maybe all of us who worked in the Volant, maybe hope that the, the records and archives will stay closed on some of those early stories that we all wrote. <laughs> Um, That's all burned to the ground. Yeah, like ho- hopefully those have maybe been lost in the cracks, maybe. But um, right, well, no, so right. then, where, where would you where would you take off from USD? What would be your, I guess, first, um, you know, post USD journalism job? Yeah, yeah. So okay, so after I so then I went straight after undergrad into grad, and then you know I worked for I had dabbled a little bit. I'd done like an internship for some papers and like South Dakota magazine. Um, but then I, you know, after grad school, I ended up teaching. I ended up finding a teaching job because I thought I was going to work on, I thought I would take a couple of months to finish like this, like this like book that I was working on about Lawrence Welk. You know, you know how that feels like you're like, Oh, I'll just take, yeah, I'll get, a, I'll, I'll pick up a job yep. for like six months and like work on my great American novel, whatever. And then that turned into like 10 years. Right. <laughs> and, right. The novel, and like the novel wasn't like the book wasn't done. <laughs> uh, and so I, and I was still teaching and I had like a whole life of like, yeah. So I taught at St. Mary's university in Winona. Um, I'm actually still teach online there. Um, one class a semester and that's, a beautiful little campus and it was lovely and it reminded me in some ways of Vermilion when Donna did. And I taught I taught English there and I kinda got like an informal doctorate, you know, in terms of like uh the just like my colleagues at St. Mary's were really um yeah, like from all over the country and they were really well read and they kinda pushed me to expand my own sort of familiarity with different texts and different kind of materials for teaching. And so I was there for about five years and then I ended up for a few more years getting my MFA in creative writing at Hamlin University in St. Paul. Um, and that, and I was teaching like in three different colleges, like one college I taught like an hour south of Duluth. Like I'd go up like twice a week at night to teach like a four hour class in Pine City, Minnesota. So I was like hardcore on that sort of adjunct lifestyle. You know what I mean? Where, where people are like stretched thin and they're teaching two or three courses and they're doing office hours out of their cars and that sort of thing. And so right at that point when I was like uh, sort of life was a little bit splitting apart in some ways, that's when I actually went – I went down to my friend, Felicia Barnes, who I graduated with. Or she was a couple years below me, but at USD, she's from Yankton. She invited me to a wedding uh, in Yankton as like, a, as like her platonic date. And I went to that wedding, and that's where I met the woman who had become my wife, who was uh, a friend of Felicia's from high school and from Yankton, and she had moved back to Sioux Falls. So we started dating later that year, and uh, sure enough, I was back in <laughs> I was back in South Dakota, and there are just fewer colleges to teach at, and frankly, the pays less, you know. And so, whereas in Minnesota, I could teach like four or five courses. Uh, or maybe like six or seven courses over the course of a year and kind of stitch together like a life, you know, like healthcare 
and like food and that sort of, and like a, and like a roof. Um, it was tougher to do that in South Dakota. And so I ended up picking up a journalism job and that was actually ironically the, um, <clears throat> like the way that I sort of got back into more seriously doing my poetry, um, because it exposed me to sort of what we would call like source material, you know, poets, uh, like when I was in grad school at Hamlin, there was something called documentary poetics, which is a really fancy phrase. And then when I got down to it, it was like, people were like, well, it's kind of like a blending of poetry and journalism. You just write poems based off these documents. And I was like, well, that's like, I could do that. Right. Like I majored in journalism in Vermillion. I do poetry. And so when I was back in South Dakota working for courthouse news, my first journalism job, um, in 2017, uh, I got sent to the pink slime trial down in Elk Point. Um, and I actually drove over after the trial was over that day or not the trial was over, but like the, that day's version of it, you know, or, um, iteration of it. I drove over to what's the coffee shop in Vermillion. Like it's, uh, coffee shop gallery. Um, or no, it's changed now. It's yes. What were you going to say? It's, um, well, I mean, there's a, there's a couple, um, there's, no, I mean, there's okay. like La Di Da, there's a Cafe Brulee. Cafe um, Brulee. That's what it was. Yeah. It was Cafe Brulee and I ended up down. Yeah. I, I ended up, at, I think it was Cafe Brulee, which is like down in the corner, kind of near Carrie's, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So I ended up there like filing my story, but it was like, you know, which was like a short little journalism piece, but it was from that trial that there was all these documents and these stories and these human tales that I felt like couldn't come out in journalism, but they could come out in poems. And so that's kind of what reignited my love of um, poetry as a medium. And I, I had been doing poems. I've been writing poems, like self-publishing poems that were like about the self, you know, about me, about like sitting in my like Van Gogh, print futon in Minneapolis <laughs> on a summer night, you know, like, which is like important. Like that stuff's all cool. But, uh, it wasn't until I got to Vermilion or got to back to Sioux Falls that I started and, and to some of more of that source material that I kind of started writing less about me per se and more about, um, like life around me. Well, I wonder, I, if this, I wonder if this is a good time to, um, have you read a poem. Yeah, yeah, totally. In fact, let me, um, so what I ended up doing for my poetry collection here is, um, And we right, should mention that you've recently published a book called Rattlesnake Summer, um, yeah. which is a collection, I guess, of poems around your travels around the state. Um, I think mainly doing journalism and also just with your wife, but it, I, I, from my understanding, uh, it's kind of one right. poem on all 66 counties in South Dakota. Yes. Yeah. So it's a, for every county in South Dakota, um, there's, there's a poem that's kind of that the poem is inspired by something in that county that I encountered or that I read about. Um, and this one here, and, and, and some of them are more explicitly than others about like actual news stories, you know, it's kind of pulled from the headline. And that's this one here. Uh, it's called the T-Rex lawsuit in Custer County. Um, and I wrote about this when I worked for both actually for courthouse news as well as for the rapid city journal. Then I was a reporter there for a little less than a year. Um, but it was a bit very full, um, busy year, but, um, yeah, there was a lot, essentially without giving too much away, there was a lawsuit filed over T-Rex fossil 
Um, and I wrote a poem about it. So this is called The T-Rex Lawsuit in Custer County. Last summer, a fossil hunter on some Perkins County scrub ranch wheeled bones down to a red pickup, dumped and drove home. Now he's being sued because legally there's a difference between prepared and unprepared specimens. Did the T-Rex pop up out of his Cretaceous grave and say hello? Or did the paleontologist sweep away dust with the tiniest of toothbrushes, clicking elephant hammers against primordial bric-a-brac, focusing that carbonite smile? The fossil hunter, Panama hat strings loosened by pressing, holding a plastic notch attenuated tightly against the jowls, sits at his desk with dull paperwork, a coffee-stained calendar under his elbows advertising cowboys from dime novels. The heater's gone out, blood cooling to 35 degrees. The milk-brown sun erases the icy creek into the slightest trickle. All water drips to the Everglades to Orleans, to swamps of green fluorescence where pink eyes of scaled creatures blink in blackness. They will sing at the Mountain Baptist Church this mild December, but the hunter cannot return the bones. They are his, finder's fees. When he gets outside to yank a Coca-Cola out of melting snow, his his refrigerator off now to save money, his nostrils will quiver from smoke barbecue the winter fire over in the state park now into third day. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So kind of blending. I mean, folks remember the, the big winter fire they had in December of 2017 in Custer state park, Legion Lake. That's kind of, so yeah. (laughs) Invoked. No, I I definitely remember that fire actually. Um, I spent a lot of time at that period of my life in the Black Hills and it it was crazy. I mean, I very much remember what the park looked like before the fire and then afterwards. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was just there actually recently and it was like, you can, it's kind of miraculous how much grows back. You know what I mean? It's kind of a nice metaphor for life. You can definitely still see charred. I mean, you know, I don't know, countless numbers of trees that have been damaged. You know, you had mentioned that this kind of like documentary style poetry um, kind of allowed you to to write about maybe certain subjects that you were covering professionally in a little bit different way. I, can you unpack that maybe? Like what, yeah. what about, I guess, the style really drew you to it? Yeah. Um, so I think that when I worked for Courthouse News, I would sit in a kiosk essentially in Sioux Falls at the county courthouse and I would just simply type in these codes uh, and anyone who's looked for public court records in South Dakota knows this, but like you type in a certain code and you bring up the lawsuits from that County. And, um, you know, you would sit there and I would scroll through these documents and it would be in the, and my, and my editors who were out in San Francisco, they, they wanted quote unquote newsworthy lawsuits to be reported on. Right. And they had a certain formula for what that was. And, but I would see all of these stories, whether it be like, you know, somewhere in Lyman County, a, um, a guy who's gone to, who's been hired to fix a payloader, takes some beers out to the payloader and like gets drunk and ends up, you know, burning a five acre grass fire and not fixing the payloader, you know, like that'd be in the complaint filed by that landowner against this mechanic. 
And I would think, like, I would just sort of stop there sitting at my kiosk and think, like, that's an insane moment that needs to be like that needs to be recorded, you know, or like a story can be built from that or a poem can be built from that. Um, and so I did for Lyman County. That's like my poem. Well, can, um, can we can we hear that one? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Help, yeah, let me find that one. Uh, I don't want to. And again, like some of this stuff I mean, is maybe I don't know. I don't know who's all going to listen to this, but there could be somebody out there who's like, okay, that's actually me. That was my. That was my uncle who got sued. Um, just because, and I, and so I did in some instances try to like gloss over, you know, like like names and that sort of thing. But it's a different conversation. So, okay, this is called "Getting Out of Lyman County." On a day when cottonwoods bloom, Devin Schoenbeck stopped by the Whistler, grabbed a sixer jerky, and drove out to Gullickson's. Attorneys don't know when or how the fire started an iron silver in the grass, the electric radio. Devin found the payloader near the draw, opened the first can in the hot sun, and went to work, winching up the frame, pulling a black tire to his chest, unsteady, steady, another beer, another tire, sweat dripping down flannel, violet buds on beard like bottom, translated into burrow, brain sticking out his teeth, how does smoke move? Drizzling up, tongue of fire, lazy and harmless as a cat swinging its paw from a sleepy veranda. Coming to, Devin catapulted into the truck, two black tires still in the grass, driving down the cattle run. What a way to enter adulthood. As a joke to the question, can you fix this? So he had to leave home. Now, where does he sit? Maybe Omaha? Back to school, studying computers, better, Orlando. His large, round fingers pressing the laminated menu at a Thai restaurant. A woman staring, never seen such big, stooped shoulders or the watery amber of his dark, prairie eyes. Yeah, that's my Lyman County poem. (laughs) (laughs) So for most of these poems, I mean... How much of of South Dakota have you traveled? Have you visited all all of the counties? Yeah, or, or... I did. Yeah, there was a really brutal stretch, like 2018. So uh, my wife and I were like going to move to DC. She actually had moved to DC. We weren't actually married at that point, but we had moved to DC. But I was, but I came back. I stayed in South Dakota for an extra two months, working for Courthouse News, uh, living out in the Black Hills. And my goal was, I'm going to travel the state to all the counties that I haven't gone to yet and get more like data, you know what I mean? Like more experiences and traveling in January and February is not an easy task. And most of the places that I hadn't visited tended to be places that are well, like, like less traveled, you know, like kind of those vast stretches of like North central South Dakota, um, or like Northwestern South Dakota, where, you know, the next town over is faith. And it's like, two hours or something. Um, so yeah, I did tr- physically travel to all the places that I hadn't been yet, but I also don't pretend that it's like, I mean, I don't pretend that like I, that I got necessarily a great grasp of each of these communities. And I'm sure somebody from these communities could, could like have a rebuttal and be like, Hey, that's not, you didn't get this right. Or you didn't get that right. You know? Um, so the guy who published these poems is all, 
also a USD guy named Bob Christensen. Uh, and he's from Clark, South Dakota. And so Clark was one town that I like, I already had a Clark poem, but then when Bob said he was going to publish these, I was like, I want to make a better Clark County poem. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so I, you know, so I like worked that one up and I came through town one night. I intentionally drove to Clark uh, one night and I, I kind of got it. Like, like the scene was like right there. And I thought, hell yeah. Like that's (laughs) like what I was looking for. But I think it'll give you a sense for kind of like what this is like, you know. Um, Okay, so this is called The Churches of Clark County. The churches of Clark County are announced outside town on a sign, but the garage is open late. Two men work on a wheelless Corsica, lofted mechanically in air, like a dancer in the spotlight, held by trembling hands. The gas station is closed on this Labor Day Friday, save for the pumps. A young woman, Carhartt jacket and denim jeans, stops her Navy pickup with orange rust wells and gets out to squeegee bug splatter from her windshield. No man watches from behind a counter in the C-store. No hesitation as she dunks the brush in like blessing, holy water. Not an aesthetic, but determined to make things clean. The engine purring in neutral, the bug spinning in a brown halo over her head, under celestial lights. Only when she gets back in, windows down, does the black dog with one blue eye lift its curious head out the tailgate as the gal circumnavigates back onto the highway, tire wheels rolling over a hose snaked across the lot. I like that one. I like the kind of vivid depiction of the the car aloft. Uh, that was Thanks. great. Hey, so, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I mean, so when you write a poem, I mean, to just talk about the process, I guess. I mean, how, you talk about the you know the the feeling or the moment of when you got to Clark that night and you were like, "This is what I kind of wanted to capture." I mean, how mm-hmm. often do you do you start a poem, look at it a few months later, and go, "Oh man, what the what was I thinking? This is." This garbage and, and restart it or, or completely throw it away. Yeah. I mean, like how, how how long does it take you to write a poem? Do you just write a line totally. and go, oh, that's perfect, or or do you work on it and you know fudge with them if, you know constantly? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I um I like to like okay, so I think that eighty percent of my poems take like twenty percent of my time, right? But like to finish or like maybe 80% of the poem, right? But to finish the poem takes like the bulk of my time. And so I will sit with something. I'll put it in the oven and come back to it six months later. I'll come back to it like sometimes two years later and be like, this poem is missing something. And so one example is like my Fall River County poem was initially about, um, there's this, like this kind of like a uh, swimming hole uh, called um, Cascade, Cascade Falls, I believe, down in Fall River County really wonderful place to go on a hot summer day and we had a really weird encounter there with somebody like i generally like dogs if someone had their dog swimming in the swimming hole (laughs) and it like was like you know going to the bathroom and there was concern about you know like contamination and and then actually ended up closing that place because of e coli a couple months later it was like just a really weird it was a very uh 
contrast. You know, you experience that contrast of like something beautiful is happening, but then there's this tension in there because of, you know, people who are supposed to be having fun or all of a sudden arguing and bickering and there's a sort of strangeness to it. So I had written a poem about that, right? And even now, think, like saying it aloud, I'm like, I'm really happy that that wasn't the poem I went with. <laughs> and so, like, years, yeah, it took me, I don't know how long it was, but I was working for the Rapid City Journal, and I did a series of articles about this standoff, like a, an actual lawsuit courthouse standoff. South Dakota has some really, like, interesting, worth scrutinizing uh, due process with respect to the weed and pest boards across the state. They can kind of act like they can do what they want in some ways. And so this gal, um, who was a rancher, like, challenged them and their authority to come onto her land and get rid of her prairie dog infestation because um, she was worried about protecting the burrowing owls, um, federally protected species. And so I was, like, working on that piece and all, I just kept thinking, I love Fall River County so much, but I hate the poem that I have. And so one night, I don't know when it was, I just sort of sat down and I was like, I'll just write up my experiences with like Susan out on this land. Like she invited me down to her ranch one, one day to kind of explore and like see the prairie dogs and see like, like there was a badger and see the burrowing owls and everything. And talk to her what she called her hired man which I don't know if that's like politically correct or not but um I think for ranch country maybe it is anyway cowhand uh so yeah it was like a fascinating experience and that has been I was able to distill that into a poem but it took a while you know and so sometimes even though the poem that I initially that I that I ended up with itself maybe took I don't know like 20 20 30 minutes you know like if that even and maybe I came through and rewrote some passages and that sort of a thing. But there's, you know, I'm, I like grew up in a musical household. And so I'm really like, I'm, I'm drawn by the musicality of language. And so to me, a poem, you kind of hear it when it's done. Um, so it's less an intellectual process than it is like an emotional or a process, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, it's less logical in some ways. And so I think that that poem itself took only a little bit of time to write but I was sitting with kind of nervous in the back of my, in the dark recesses of my mind. I didn't have a Fall River County poem for like 18 months, you know, and I knew I'd started the project and I knew all the counties and I knew the, I thought I had the poems figured out, but I was sitting with that unhappiness with that poem. And so I think, I think over the course of that duration, you know, that poem was kind of in some ways being written all throughout. Can you read the, that poem for us? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm pull that one up. So the poems start in summer and then they end in summer. So I actually have I I, I have it separated by seasons because Christine Stewart. Now I'm like gonna be- betray my USD. Um, uh, like I I um I feel like a bit of a traitor, but I did work with Christine Stewart, which from SDSU, <laughs> um, for help. She's a poet laureate. Um, currently in South Dakota, although the most recent poet laureate was Leanne Roy Paw, who's in the English department at USD, who I also had for class and was just phenomenally, um, you know, dynamic instructor and like influential in a lot of ways. Um, but I remember when I met with Christine, she was like, you're going to have to, like, people are going to get really bored of reading 66 poems in a row with like no kind of inherent drama. You know what I mean? Like it's going to get a little tedious, even the most beautiful parts of South Dakota that are, it's like a drive across the highway. 
So I ended up separating at the end of the season. And so it starts in summer and, and then comes back to summer. So this poem is called Miss Henderson Says She'll Sue the Fall River County Weed and Pest Board into non-existence over a prairie dog infestation. She says is isn't happening either. So this is kind of like my, uh, um, yeah, kind of emo-style, long-titled poem. I sat in the pickup truck while Susan in her broad-brimmed hat patted my thigh. They're not coming on my land, I'll tell you what I know. Then we buckled over the creek, rolling out of the weeds, blue and yellow clover, scaring up a white-tailed badger, scurrying from burrow to burrow. David, the man Susan called her hired man, got real quiet and pointed to a blurry spot near a tussle of grass. There, he said, monosyllabically, like we discovered earth was round and beneath our feet. Wait for its bobbing head. Then the migratory bird, the burrowing owl, all 18 inches of fight, a mother watching with big eyes for rattlesnakes, popped its head above the blue stem shards, the miracle of incongruous life cycles. Tell that lawyer what you see, huh? When we got out, Susan asked if we wanted to take her picture to go in the paper. She twirled in the meadow, her orange shirt, her denim blouse, her 1,200 steers on the horizon watching. How long are you out here? I asked David, his wife silent in the back of the truck. From dark to dark, he said. Then the whistle blew as a train stretched like a serpent into Wyoming. And that one was really exciting because, you know, I mean, the big the court case was basically like, you know, Susan saying she's got these federally protected burrowing owls out on her land and their state's bringing in experts to say, there aren't burrowing owls out there. <laughs> she's making it up. And so then when we go out there and we're like, there's burrowing owls everywhere. Like our photographers, you know, snapping pictures of them. It was pretty exciting. Um. You know, do you have a? I, I, I hate to even ask it, but do you? Is there like a personal favorite from the collection of the book that you could share with us? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, so that my personal favorite is just actually it's like the second. What is it? The second or third poem in the collection. Um, actually, no, it's a, it's the one I open up with, uh, "Dust Cloud in Hand County." So that was the first poem I wrote. So, um, so my cousin Ted Heron. Uh, is uh, is like kind of, I guess, goes by the moniker the Flower Man, and he has this radio show called the Rock Garden Tour. I don't know if people maybe would you know would know of that or not. He used to be on SDPD, and sometimes also did TV specials for them. Um, so we were hired to perform at Badger Stock, which the poet the, the original poet laureate in South Dakota is Badger Clark, who lived out in Custer State Park. Uh, he's from Plankington, I think, originally, but. He, um, this guy, Bob Christensen, the, the man I mentioned earlier, who's a USD alum, he holds this big, like, backyard bash, basically, in the summer to celebrate Badger Clark. And there's, like, singing and there's poetry and all this stuff. And they had uh, hired us to perform some tunes, and they asked that I read some poems. They knew that I kind of dabbled with poems. And I had started working on these poems, although I didn't know if they, they weren't consciously like a collection yet. They were just kind of my reactions to some of the lawsuits I was reading. And we were on the way back, uh, Carrie and my, my now wife worked for the telecom company in Sioux Falls, SDN, and we had been up to Bison, South Dakota, and we were coming back, and we actually got caught in a dust storm. 
And so then for for Badger Stock, a few days later, I wrote about that experience, um, and I called it A Dust Cloud in Hand County, and that was the first poem from which the rest of the poems grew. So this is that poem, Dust Cloud in Hand County. Brown mist moved like rain or a smear across the sky. A detour sign was bent horizontally. The gas station's Bud Light banner ripped and snapped like a Lake Superior tanker before sinking. If you open the window, little pellets in your teeth while lights of oncoming trucks squinted and hovered in the sodden wave. Earlier that day, a man who lived in a trailer and removed his wedding ring rode us out to his fields and pointed, as agents taught him, to where the hay yellow should have reached. The commodity market fell out, he said, the moon slice hanging in the sky. Later, he told us his grandfather had lived near the Missouri before the dam, wide as maybe the truck itself. Now, though, his old hometown is underwater. The wide-eyed, vacant fish float down Maine, the old flagpole at the school, tall and silver, beneath the quiet lake. Yeah, so that's Dust Cloud in Hand County. I really like that one. Um, no, I, I, so for this collection, I mean, you, I, I think you have a obviously a pretty interesting perspective now. Um, y- you live in D.C., correct? That's where you that's where you're stationed. Now. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you make of? I guess the you know urban rural divide that you always constantly hear. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like in some sense your your poetry speaks to a lot of that. Um, I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. I have maybe a quirky response, which is like I have I've love I grew up in small town America and I and I and I and I love rural America. Like I mean I think that's a testament to my project. You know, I wrote about these places that I don't think end up in poems. So I'm like in, like, you know, on fire with affection for, for for small places and making certain they don't get forgotten about. At the same time, I sometimes have a lot of uh dissonance. Right. I, I, I sense a lot of dissonance with the way that we try to impose, I think, often artificially or we try to exacerbate a divide between urban and rural. And I oftentimes try to find connections. And I don't know if that's just because I feel displaced sometimes in a city. Um, but like like growing up. I would bike everywhere, you know, I'd bike to my friend's house, I'd bike to the grocery store, I'd bike to baseball practice. And now in DC, it's a city, a metropolitan area of like 7 million people or something. Right. Um, but we live on like Capitol Hill, which kind of feels like a little small town in some ways. And everything is within five, 10, 15 minutes of me. I can bike, I can walk. <clears throat> and I, you know, I know my neighbor, you know, they're going to help dig you out of, um, if there ever is, like, you know, when there is snow in DC, um, you know, or I experienced this in Minneapolis, you know, people would dig you out of, uh, a snowbank in the heart of downtown Minneapolis, just the same as they would in Beersford, you know what I mean? Or, or in, or in Fort Pier or something like that. And so I don't traffic a lot in sometimes what I think of as that divide, which I think is used for political purposes. Um, for people to like sometimes win elections, <laughs> I'll just like I'll just like stop there. So I don't say any more than I will get me in trouble. But like, so I, yeah, it's not that I don't, it's it's not that I don't love talking about 
you know, like, and you see it. Like, I think there was an article, you know, I work now for, I, I cover South Dakota as a correspondent for Forum News Service. And so we're actually in the, like, I was in Pierre for two months and we're in the process of moving back to South Dakota, my wife and I. But, um, you know, like my, my editor, Jeremy, spotted an article, I think, from like Radio Lab once, uh, where they talked about a grain elevator. And they described a grain elevator as this great mechanism that, like, turns some wheel underneath the ground to, like, lift grain up. <laughs> and it was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, grain elevators where you store your grain. It's something more complicated than that, really. Um, and so it's like, I think there is a there, there often is a blind spot amongst um, folks in where we have in urban areas. Um, regarding a whole host of attributes, characteristics of rural, small-time life. At the same time, I think there's also a blind spot a lot in rural places with respect to how things happen in urban areas or suburban areas. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, should be, I should be more of like a, like a partisan on that subject, but I tend to be kind of cranky. <laughs> yeah, that's when funny. I... You know what I mean? Like I get kind of cranky when I when I feel like someone's trying to tell me like, oh, I, like you're, you know, you should be really kicked off about about how they don't understand duck hunting or whatever it is, you know. And I'm like, I I grew up in small town America, rural America, and I don't duck hunt. <laughs> um. So anyway, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, do you have any last remaining poems that you'd want to share with us? Um, yeah, I'll do one short one. Uh, one, sh- one little short one, which I think is a nice kind of, you know, there's, there's some funny ones here too, I guess. Um, and I think it's, it speaks a little bit to some of the affection that, I mean, there, there's some poems in here that are, that are kind of more critical, but then there are a lot of poems that are more, yeah, like I said, just kind of more affectionate, uh, and poems about places that don't get written about a lot. And that's, that's kind of modus operandi for me. It's called Whole Towns for Sale in Bennett County. For $250,000, you can buy Sweat, South Dakota. Saloon, semi, lovable mutt, inspecting trash bags. Intangibles aren't guaranteed, though. Grasslands won't sing. Dirty jokes crawling inside empty beer cans like Daddy Longlegs might not waltz home with you. And especially that night when Mary Morrison pushed with two fingers the pearl-buttoned chest of Lawson Curly outside the rodeo because he hadn't yet bought her popcorn and asked, You waiting on snow or what? That comes separate, too. Um, no, I like that one. Um, Thank you. I, you know, I, it's funny. I, do you have any uh, more humorous ones that you could share with us, I guess? Yeah, I have a really goofy one that's about roadkill. Okay. <laughs> I can find that. I don't, I've always been skeptical. I, I once read this at Governor Dugard's barn. We got asked to, we got asked to perform there again, my, my cousin's radio show. So we read this at Governor Dugard's barn. And I thought it was going to be funny. Again, this is why I don't do humor. I thought it'd be funny. And it was like crickets. <laughs> The governor's staff. Or, I mean, I think they were, they kind of were good natured about. It, but they yeah, it was. They didn't they didn't love it, but it, but, but I kind of like it. It's, it's called something bigger than a hawk, 
in Tripp County. Under a blue sky, a turkey vulture plucks entrails from a headless deer. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like at a bar or something or in a barn after people have had a a few, I I think that can get some laughs. But (laughs) yeah, anyway. Well, I, no, um, I was going to make a joke about the, the governor's staff uh, and their <laughs> um, Scratch, yeah. pension for, for laughter at uh, loose poets, but I, I, I don't know. Um, well, sh- we, so we always like, I'll ask you, I've had, this has been a, a fun hour here to um, talk with you, and obviously we really appreciate you sharing some of your, your poems. We always like to ask our guests one last question, um, and it's a little bit okay. more philosophical in nature. And so as a poet, I think you obviously have an interesting perspective. You look at things in a little bit different way. Um, and I think you've had an interesting life, right? You, you've traveled, you've lived in different places, and you kind of bring that perspective as well. Chris, at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? Oh, man. I know this, that if I, if I ever uh, am lucky enough to get to an old age and be retired— I want to do it like the artist John Crane is doing it out in the Black Hills because he's flipping burgers at the Moonshine Gulch Saloon in Rochford. Do you know the Moonshine Gulch Saloon in Rochford? Uh, I I do know it, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So one night my wife and I were there, and we're like hanging out. We're getting burgers. And all of a sudden this guy walks in, and it's John Crane, like the watercolor artist or whatever he is. And he's just like hanging out. And I kind of thought, that's that's what I want. That sort of simplicity of art. You know, he's creating art, but also there's a beautiful aesthetic to that place. And it's a little bit, you kind of, you have to go find it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like Brigadoon. You have to kind of go back in the woods a little bit on a dirt road to find that place. Um, and you're not totally out of touch with society but you're kind of on the edge and i like that um so so that's the one thing i know (laughs) um yeah no that's awesome i like that too um chris thank you for the the conversation last hour this has been great um thank you for the work that you do thank you for sharing obviously all the poems that you shared with us today and um thank you for continuing to represent usd and and south dakota and everything you do we always uh appreciate having alumni come on and and join us and um this was a really uh fun hour so thanks again yeah Thanks, Michael. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been a really, this has been kind of highlight of my week. So I appreciate uh, the time, and I'm, yeah, looking forward to hearing more guests on your show. And when this is all over, at some point, we can all be back in, in Vermilion. Yeah, <laughs> for some D days and enjoy it. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Thanks again.